walk alone. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speakers Step Series. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. Ooh, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start a two-minute meditation. Yeah. So uh, what we're going to do is the purpose of this is just sort of chill out and get connected to God. So when we do get into the speaker section, you're focused and you don't have the craziness of the day distracting you from what's going on. Um, everybody ready for this quiet time? Imagine the monks. Let's go. We're going to have a two-minute meditation. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light. For those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. You know, I say that thing 500 to 1,000 times in a blank spot. Senior moment. That's cool. 
Um, from there's a solution from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we discovered a common solution. We have a way out in which we can absolutely agree and which we can join a brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked absolutely no one to read tonight spiritual experience, so I'm just going to pick somebody off the fly. Frank, is Frank here? Would you come up here and read it tonight? Give him a round of applause. And there's two sides to it. Two sides to it. Two sides to it. Thanks. Okay, I'm Frank, grateful alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening I use many times in this book upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personalities change or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it is not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of us, most of our experiences are what psychologist William James calls the educational variety. Because they develop slowly over a period of time, quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have trapped in an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our most religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experiences can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one have difficulty with the spirituality of the program Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bow against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt, contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer.
Watch your step. It's, it's a doozy down there. The cables, too. Um, you know, we started off without a joke tonight. So I had three choices. The first one's like really racy. The second one's like really long. And the, do we have any Aladons in the room tonight? Okay, don't get up and leave. Actually, this is pretty cool. How many Alanons does it take to screw in a light bulb? None. They just detach and let it screw itself. <laughs> okay. If you want to hear the, the last, if you want to hear the racy ones, talk to me afterwards. They're pretty good too. Let's see. Diddly do. Um, Oh, the reason we read the spiritual experience is because it's kind of, since the whole purpose of this process and the steps and the book is to have a spiritual experience, so it's kind of important to know what it looks like. Um, finally get to the good part of the meeting. Please refrain, refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and down throughout the meeting. Um, if you've got a cell phone, a Game Boy, a, paper, a beeper... I think I saw somebody with an Xbox earlier. Don't play it, though. Seriously, just keep your phone off for a while. Just, we're going to hear some cool stuff here tonight. Um, introduce the speaker. So, Pete's up in Atlanta right now. So it's always hard. Well, who are we going to get to come in and, and, and fill a shoe of, of you know, people in the middle of the thing? And we've always wanted to get somebody to come in and bring some history, some more information. You know, one of the things that got me early on in Alcoholics Anonymous when I first started getting involved in general service um, was the history of this. And, and when we start booking with newcomers in big book sponsorship style, we spend a lot of time in the forwards. We, we read the forwards, the preface, the forwards, the second, you know, first and second. Because if you're getting involved in something, it's kind of helpful to know what you got yourself into. And now that you've gotten yourself into this thing, the history of this thing is remarkable. You're going to find that God and people have just been intertwined themselves in such a way to make this thing 87 years later, is it-ish? He'll tell us in a few minutes. Um, but uh, years ago, I, I sat through a history lecture and uh, turned my life around. It, 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 I find that people who are interested in history tend to stick around and get involved. So uh, we got one of the greatest historians in the Fort Lauderdale Southeast Regional Area here tonight. Let's give Tom a round of applause. And I'm going to help him up. I, yeah, Watch your step around here. Yeah, yeah. So, How are you tonight? This is, yeah, this is a, the going up and down. You got him on yet? A slow process. Yeah. Can you hear me? You, can you hear him there back there, Jeff? Good. And if that thing falls off, we got the little speaker things here. Yeah, let me know when this is on. I need to oh, stop, I hear you. I need to stop swearing. Okay, it's going to be on the whole time. We're gonna, we like to catch people swearing. Thank you very much. I'm glad Thank you're you, here. Man. Do you need this need stuff? Thank you. Have fun. Give him a round of applause, you guys. You, you might want to reserve judgment and wait until after I'm done. <laughs> uh, I'm an alcoholic. My name's Tom. And, uh, and it's wonderful to be here tonight. You know, there's probably some other places I could be on a Thursday night and probably some other stuff I could be doing, but there's probably no better place I could be and probably nothing better that I could be doing. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. It didn't just save my life. It changed it into one worth living. And um, I'm truly grateful to be here tonight and always grateful to be able to do some service in AA. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, defined print, the legalese, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Tom Roach. 
Uh, my sobriety date is uh, June 26, 2001. And uh, my home group is the Central Fact Group. And we meet at uh, St. Ambrose Church uh, in Deerfield Beach on Federal Highway, Friday nights at 7.30. Uh, double speakers talking about the Central Fact from page 25, and there's a solution. So if you're looking for a nice little intimate meeting of about 300, uh, you know, and you're looking for a meeting up north on Friday night, we'd love to see you there. Um, in continuation of the legalese and the fine print, um, you know, I'm not a representative for AA. I don't speak on behalf of AA or anything like that. You know, none of us are that. Um, I'm just here to share my experience tonight, but more my experience with the history and, um, and, I, and I do love the history, like Mike talked about. Um, I got involved in that very early. In this, my, you know, that's my last sobriety date. I've had other sobriety dates. That was at, at the end of my last relapse after five years of um, don't drink and go to meetings. <laughs> and, uh, so that's important, by the way, because it's very hard. If you try, anybody ever try to take somebody through the work that's still drinking, that's hard. And who takes you through the work? Sponsors. And you know where we hide them? At the meetings. So the don't drink and go to meetings is important. It's just five years is a while, right? But at the end of the day, it comes down to how long can you hold your breath, you know? And uh, I finally ran out. Um, I do, um, you know, he, he just, Mike told a joke. Um, by the way, thank you. I didn't see anybody leave. Um, I um, I get nervous when I speak. I always get nervous, and I thought I would outgrow it. I haven't outgrown it. Uh, you can see by my little bit of hardware. Some of you, if you know me, I, I have less hardware maybe than the last time you saw me, which, well, the big book seminar, but before that I had um, wearing neck jewelry and neck brace from a spinal surgery. So I went 16 months ago, in case anybody's wondering or doesn't know, I went to um, an automobile accident. I forgot to bring a car. Um, I'm, I'm here to report the cars remain undefeated, totally undefeated. Um, they say that smart people are people that learn by their own mistakes, but wisdom is learning by the mistakes of others. If there's one message I have tonight, it's do not go to an automobile accident without a car. You know, um, you know I got hit by a car going whatever. They say I, I was knocked out. I had a, a brain injury as well, so I couldn't walk or talk in the beginning, but supposedly going about 50, and that's just a bad way. We, don't, we just don't do well. So um, I know I'm here by the grace of God. Um, you know, according to statistics, I should be dead or at least in a chair or whatever that is. Or, you know, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't talk or walk in the beginning. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of trouble remembering things. Now some of that's coming back, so that's helpful. Um, but anyways, I get real nervous, and now I get nervous on steroids because of the brain thing, because whatever happened on me. So at any rate, if you've been through a big book study and, and we agnostics or a step series with me at step two, you may have heard this from me before. Um, but, you know, I don't have time to qualify up here. I want to talk a little bit about the history tonight. So this is my story, though, in a nutshell. Um, an atheist was walking through the woods. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to look. He saw a seven-foot grizzly bear charging towards him. He ran as fast as he could up the path. 
He looked over his shoulder and saw that the bear was closing in on him. He looked over his shoulder again, and the bear was even closer. He tripped and fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but saw that the bear was right on top of him, reaching for his left paw for him with his left paw and raising his right paw to strike him. At that instant, the atheist cried out, Oh my God! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest went silent. As a bright light shone upon the man, a voice came out of the sky. You deny my existence for all these years. Teach others I don't exist. And even credit creation to cosmic accident? Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I now to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light and said, It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now, but perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. (laughs) Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the sounds of the forest resumed, and the bear dropped his right paw, brought both paws together, bowed his head, and spoke. Lord, bless this food which I am about to receive from thy bounty through Christ. So I want to thank the group tonight. (laughs) Um, That's my story. You know, there's a reason for my relapse. You know, that was after five years of being sober. And that was after... um, you know, 14 months before that and being sober. So this is my third time at being sober for a while. And um, and when I first arrived at the rooms, you know, for the skeptic, just no explanation is sufficient. And yet today for the believer, no explanation is necessary. I've gone 180 degrees on that this last time, and that's what has changed everything, just everything. Um, I can see I'm going to have a little bit of a tough time with this um, thing tonight because it's on a little bit of a slant. And my book, I've read this book a few times. Um, So it's not all, you know. Um, I want to, um, the name of this meeting is Alcoholics and God, right? That's a great name for a meeting. I love that name. Um, And um, it's funny, I remember when Mike, when they first, Mike and Pete just started this meeting, and Pete did it, and then he called me and asked me to do it, and I had gone back to school at the time, I couldn't do it, and then called me again a couple times, and still in school, and then this accident and all this stuff. Um, but I've had that luxury before of following Peter. That, by the way, that's not a luxury. <laughs> you know, who wants to come in after Peter? It's happened to me at the 12-step house. It's happened to me up north of here. Um, and uh, or follow my, uh, you know, my sponsor just passed with 41 years, probably the most spiritual guy I ever met. Some of you may have known him, Garrett, Garrett M. Um, so now I'm back with my first sponsor, but that's a good deal. The only reason I left him, his shortcoming was he moved away. And, um, but he's the best practitioner of AA principles that I ever met. And I mean, when I say the principles, I mean all three of our legacies. Um, so I've been blessed and re-blessed with uh, unbelievable sponsorship. Um, Alcoholics and God, it, it reminds me, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history. Um, I think basically you guys do 12 weeks of steps and then somebody else comes in and does 12 weeks of steps, right? 
right? So um, go through the history a little bit. And um, so sometimes if you've seen me do this, I was out on the West Coast doing it for a convention, oral convention out there two weeks ago. And, um, and some of you may have seen me do it out here at a convention or the Big Book Seminar or, or whatnot. It's a two-hour talk with a slideshow, and obviously I can't do that because um, some people have to work tomorrow, right? And, uh, so I'm just going to kind of abbreviate it and go through a little bit and use just, you know, kind of the second forward, like Mike talked about the history in the second forward. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, I am a guy who goes to a lot of conferences and conventions and listens to a lot of speakers and whatnot. And um, we have a lot of great speakers in South Florida. We're blessed and a lot of great communicators. Um, you know, my favorite, as I say, was my sponsor who just passed. But um, Bill, Bill is my favorite communicator, Bill Wilson. Um, you know, the author and architect of all three legacies and um, spent his whole life explaining them to us. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of great... Um, conference-approved literature about AA, and there's also other great literature that's not conference-approved. That just means Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on it. There's no, you know, non-conference-approved list. Um, but it reminds me, you know, when I'm thinking about the, the name of this group and the focus of it is that um, in 1954 at the Texas AA State Convention in June of that year, uh, Bill was asked to do a talk. He's actually asked to do a talk on the traditions, but he, which is, is funny because he always wanted to talk about the traditions and nobody ever wanted to hear about them. Um, you know, there's letters in the archives that say, we want you to come and tell what they call the bedtime story, but if you're going to come and talk about the traditions, don't even show up. <laughs> That's the founder of AA, right? Um, but anyways, he says, I think, you know, for such a festivication, that might be too grim, and he tells the story of AA. And and in that, he, he has a line. He's specifically talking about um, his brother-in-law, Leonard Strong, getting him to Willard Richardson, who gets him to the Rockefellers, without which we're not here. I'm not going to have time probably to go into too much of that. But at any rate, when he's, when he's talking about that, he says, on what slender threads our destiny does hang. And so I'm going to talk about some of those slender threads tonight about AA. Um, and AA's beginnings. Um, but my favorite talk of Bill's was a talk they did in 1951. And w when he does the talk, he says that on the way to do the talk, that what he was thinking about is the grace of God in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what he said was that he had heard that if a grain of wheat had been stored in a dry place for centuries and then exposed to the right climate and the right soil and enough light from above that it would manifest life, that it would unfold, and that it would grow. And he kind of looked at Alcoholics Anonymous the same way. Now, the first real big exposure that Alcoholics Anonymous ever had was um, national, big national exposure, was in 1941. And Curtis Bach, the, the publisher for the Saturday Evening Post, sends an investigative reporter, Jack Alexander, to look at AA. And Jack Alexander, that's like Mike Wallace in 60 Minutes. When you're getting, when he's coming to do a story on your company it's you, or your organization, it's usually not a good idea. It's not a good deal, right? It's like he's been busting unions and the rackets and the docks, and it's like, go find out who's getting all the money and where the money's going, right? Um, so he goes and kind of examines AA first on the East Coast, then he goes out to Akron and meets with Dr. Bob and goes to meetings and everything. And 
Certainly to his astonishment, but probably to his delight, he finds that AA is exactly what it says it is, an altruistic movement of one alcoholic helping another. And instead of writing this, you know, expose of where, who's getting all the money, it's this incredibly, um, you know, really kind of gracious article about AA and how it's helping alcoholics and that for the first time maybe there's a solution, right? And... Um, and at that time, there's only 2,000 alcoholics, right? Six years it's taken to get 2,000 alcoholics. And in the next six months, another 6,000 rush in. That's how many come in, that, off of that article. And they say basically the mushrooming process had begun and AA is off and running, right? Um, the first woman to get sober, well, the first woman was Florence Rank and Florence R., who lived, you know, at Bill's house on Clinton Street with, while Ebby was there for a little while. But, you know, she gets drunk shortly after the big book is published. You, you have her story, and if you have a first edition, you have her story, Feminine Victory. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she's a sad story, um, gets drunk and commits suicide at any rate. But the first woman to stay sober in AA and get sustained sobriety was a woman, Marty Mann, right? And Marty Mann is in Blythewood Sanitarium in Connecticut. And her, she's under the care of Harry Tebow, which some of you are probably familiar with. Ego deflation at depth. You know, some of you may have sponsors directing you to read about that, right? And the, Bill took, called him the first psychiatric friend of AA. And he actually becomes, you know, Bill suffers from severe depression until the mid-50s. And um, Harry, Harry Tebow becomes his... Um, his um, personal psychiatrist. So she's also under the care at Lithewood Sanitarium of a neurologist, a well-renowned neurologist, um, Foster Kennedy. And so in, in February of 1939 is when what's called the multilith comes out. It's about 400 copies of the big book. And it goes to a few AAs, but mostly it goes to people in the clergy, and it goes to um, people in, um, in medicine. And the idea is that Bill wants to make sure that this book is going to be accepted not only by other alco alcoholics, but by the religious community, as it were, and also the medical community. So a copy of the Multilith goes to Tebow at Blythewood Sanitarium. He sees it, he knows he has a client with, that's al alcoholic, and he gives it to Marty Mann. Marty Mann reads it, at the time, the only appendix really in the book is how to get a hold of AA in the back of the book, right? And so she reads that, get a hold of AA down in New York. She calls down there, finds out that there's a meeting every Tuesday night at Clinton Street, you know, where Bill is. And she goes, at, she goes down there to the meeting, right? And, um, and for the first time, she hears what she suffers from, and she identifies in a whole new way, right? As a matter of fact... She leaves that meeting and goes back to the sanitarium. And there's another woman there, Granny C., who's suffering from alcoholism. And she says to Granny, Granny, we are not alone. Can you imagine that? You know, back then it was the alcoholic dilemma, right? A bullet or a bottle. You know, today we, you know, kind of take AA for granted, 12-step recovery for granted. Today we have the alcoholic trilemma, a bullet, a bottle, or a big book. That's a much better choice, right? Um, a lot of times back then, you went away for alcohol insanity until you got better by yourself. Good luck, right? So what happens is Foster Kennedy 
as she gets involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and goes through these steps, right? You know, she goes, she shows up at that Tuesday night meeting. I think it's like April 11th. The book was, came out the day before, right? So the book comes out. She's down there. The steps are already written, right? So she goes through the work. She gets better. And the doctors that have been treating her for years are like, what the, what's going on here? It's a WTF moment for them, right? And, um, I, th- I said, I said I wasn't going to swear into the mic, right? Yeah. Um, so, so Foster Kennedy contacts Bill Wilson, the writer of the book, and says, hey, you know, Marty Mann, she's, a, she's a, a patient of mine. She came down there. You know, she went to meetings. She started doing this AA stuff. And, you know, she's a changed woman. You know, like she, she's getting, you know, cured, as it were. What the hell is going on in Alcoholics Anonymous? And Bill says, why don't you come to some, why don't you come to some meetings and, and get a feel and see what we're doing? So over the next couple of years, from 39 to 41, Foster Kennedy goes to these AA meetings and sees these tremendous recoveries, right? He goes to Bill Wilson after the publication of the Saturday Evening Post article and says to Bill, Bill, could you get some of those medical friends, those psychiatrists who testified in the Saturday Evening Post article as to the efficacy of Alcoholics Anonymous, especially in these grim cases, to come and testify or talk to the Academy of Medicine in New York and talk about AA's effectiveness, right? And Bill says, oh, my God, that's a great idea. He's looking for publicity. AA's just getting started. Uh, it'll probably be good for those doctors. They'll get to rub elbows with Foster Kennedy, a renowned neurologist. It's like a win-win-win. It's good for everybody. And the Academy will get educated on what AA is doing to treat alcoholism, right? And what happens is all of those psychiatrists say no. Bill says every single one of them says no. Now, he's amazed. He thinks this is going to be good for everybody. So what he does is he tracks all of them down and and asks them separately, what the hell is going on? Why won't you testify? And he said said that all of them separately said the exact same thing. And what they said was that you, in Alcoholics Anonymous, have aligned more of the resources in one column than we in medicine have been separately applying for years And what we see in Alcoholics Anonymous is you have this kinship of suffering, this hopelessness as far as the alcoholic. In addition to the hopelessness, you have this idea of hopelessness as far as the individual's resources are concerned to get better from that. Step one, right? He said, you also have this crude form of analysis, of examination, four-step inventory, right? He said, you also have this idea of confession, fist-step. Remember, the steps have been published now, right? You also have this method of reducing guilt by restitution, ninth-step. You also have this helpfulness to others, 12-step. You also have this religious or spiritual component to what you're doing, right? 11, right? Or 2, 3, 6, 7, 11. Um, so, He said, that's a tremendous alignment of formidable resources. Bill is like, yeah, (laughs) why don't you come and talk about that to the Academy of Medicine? And they say, but what we see when we look at Alcoholics Anonymous, that even the sum of all of these resources do not add up to the shifts in motivation and the speed of transformations that we see in months, sometimes in weeks, in these really grim cases. 
So when we look at Alcoholics Anonymous, we see this unknown factor. And as men of science and medicine, we refer to it as the X factor. We think that in Alcoholics Anonymous, you call it the grace of God. And who among us, even men of medicine, are going to go in front of the Academy of Medicine and try to explain to them the grace of God? We can't do it. Nobody can. So we just won't go. And I don't propose to be able to explain to you the grace of God in all of this, especially as I see it. But maybe we can spend a few minutes and talk a little bit about the climate and the soil. And maybe you can see the light above that shines back then and still shines on us today. Um, how much time? 9 o'clock, 9.30? What time does it? What is it? 8.15. All right, so we got a lot to do and virtually, like, kind of no time to do it. Um, I mean, so I had some things I was going to read. I think I'm going to skip that. I'm going to go right to the forward to the second edition and just talk a little bit about our history, right? Um, so in the forward to the second edition, on the bottom it says, on the, I'm on the bottom of page, Roman numeral 15, the spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, right? Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend, Ebby Thatcher, who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of the day. So... I'm going to fast forward um, and, and step into the Wayback Machine for a minute. Um, right after that, Jack, I'm going to go to Roman numeral 18, if you're in the forward to second edition in your big book. Right after the Jack Alexander article came out, I said, AA takes off. It looks like, oh, my God, they're never going to look back. But that's not how AA goes. Go, approaching the mid-40s, this is Bill writing in our forward to the second edition. And by the way, you know, a lot of you do talks. Almost everybody has done a talk here or there. You know, there's always three talks, right? The talk I've been thinking about for the last two weeks, right, since, since Mike contacted me. And that's really, that's a pretty good talk. It's actually the, it's, it's the second best of the three, right? Then there's the best talk, and that's going to be the one when I go to bed tonight as my head hits the pillow, and I'm like, I really wish I'd gotten Bill and Bob sober before my time was up, <laughs> you know? And then there's the talk that you're going to get right now. The forward to the second edition is Bill's third talk. In other words, the book is written in 39, and now it's 55, and he gets to say some things that he wanted to say, and but for, some, for one reason or another, didn't say. Um, so this is one of those things. Our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile, former, erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Yes. Would there be quarrels over membership? I'm putting the answers in. <laughs> yes. Over leadership? Yes. Money? Yes. Would there be strivings for power? Yes. Proceeds? Yes. Would there be schisms that would split AA apart? Yeah. Soon AA, soon AA was beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. AA is starting to fall apart, right? Um, but out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. As we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic could live, the 12 steps, 
So we had to evolve principles by which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. And then he paraphrases basically the 12 traditions, right? So if we jump into the Wayback Machine, so here we are, it's Thursday night. So let's go, oh, let's stay on Thursday night, okay? But instead of being, you know, July 20th, it's April 2nd. Instead of being 2017, it's 1840. And there's a group of six people, six, six drunks, and they're meeting in Chase's Tavern on Liberty Road in Baltimore, Maryland, right? And these guys are talking about their drinking and how much trouble they're getting in because of their drinking. They're getting in trouble at work with their wives and their relationships, with their finances, the trouble that we get into because of our drinking, right? And they're like, you know, we should try to stop. And they're like, and one of them's like, well, what about that temperance talk tonight? We should, we should go hear that, right? And almost for a laugh, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, but two of us will stay behind and hold seats so that you can have your seats at the bar when you get back from listening about not drinking, right? And um, so they go off and they listen to temperance talk and the four come back and they start talking and they say, we should try this thing. We should make a pledge to each other and maybe decide not to drink. Well, let's think about it and we'll come back April 5th, Sunday, and talk about it a little bit more. And they come back April 5th and what they decide is they're all going to try something brand new. They've all gone, they've gone to the clergy, to their rabbis and ministers, they haven't been able to stay sober. They've gone to their doctors, they haven't been able to stay sober. They've been in front of the judge, they haven't been able to stay sober. So they're going to try something unique, that, as far as I know in history, that one lay person, one drunk, is going to try to help another drunk, right? They make, a, they make a decision that they're not going to drink when they're together at the tavern in the meetings, right? They're going to have another meeting, and between this meeting and the next meeting, they're not going to drink. And when they come to the next meeting, they're going to bring somebody else who suffers from alcoholism and can't stop drinking. There's a lot of basic components of Alcoholics Anonymous in those things. Those are some really good beginnings, right? A few, few weeks later, you know, the wife, the wife of the uh, owner of the tavern says, by the way, this, is, this isn't working. They're, t- they're growing. They're bringing more people in. They're not buying any liquor. And we're going to go out of business, you know. They've got to get out. So they start meeting one of those guys, Bill Mitchell. They start meeting at his house. And um, they hold the meetings there. Then they get big and start going to public places. Um, but they grow so much that, that that takes off so much that... There are estimates that anywhere from 100,000 to 600,000 over the next few years. So even if we cut it in half, it's a few hundred thousand. The Temperance Society, the Washington Temperance Society, that's what it's called. The Washingtonians, we call it. They're meeting in Illinois in 1842. There's a state senator that speaks there. His name is Abraham Lincoln. They want to associate with big people and big names. And they are taking off like crazy. And yet, in 1848, they're gone. They've disappeared from the face of the earth, right? And there's discussion as to why, but the primary thoughts are that it's a lack of traditions. Um, Carl Sandburg said that a society or civilization that forgets where it came from is doomed to perish, right? So although those estimates are 100,000 to 600,000, so let's say a few hundred thousand, the real number is about 1 million to 6 million. And what started out as one alcoholic talking and helping another winds up being their families and friends, lots of children. So there's a dilution of the message. So we often hear that the reason that they, that they fall apart is kind of six and ten tradition deals, that they get involved in the abolition of slavery and temperance movement. And certainly that's true. But I think if we drill a little deeper, what we'll find is that they lose the membership requirement, right? Like, we love our stories. When somebody's talking about their third DUI, we're sitting in the back saying, yo, you go, I bet he gets four, I bet he gets four, right? <laughs> 
You know what a normie says in Earth first? They just say, why don't you stop? You already got a DUI. Why don't you stop after the first one? They leave. They're not interested, right? So there's that. And, the, and as a result, there's also dilution of what? Our fifth tradition, our primary purpose, right? Of carrying the message, right? So, and there's an 11 tradition problem. They have big speakers like John Guff, and then he, he pulls a Charlie Sheen, uh, no names, right? Um, and, you know, the next thing you know, he's drunk, and he's a public figure, and everybody knows it. And what, what do people say when they see somebody like that? You know, hey, it doesn't work, right? So it falls apart. And so Bill Wilson doesn't learn anything from the Washingtonians as far as the big book and the steps are concerned. When he writes the big book and the steps, he's never heard of them. But right then, when he's in, the, in that 40s, in that early 40s time, when AA is struggling, that's when he gets his education, the Milton Maxwell letter. He, he comes across information about the Washingtonians, and learns about and learns about the traditions and why they fell apart. Right. So, you know, if we and some of the traditions are actually in effect, even though we don't know it. If we read the forward to the first edition and we read the last, almost the last paragraph, right? What it says is, well, it says we need, we need to remain anonymous. That's mostly out of fear. But right after that, it says, we are not an organization in the conventional sense of the word, tradition nine. There are no fees or dues whatsoever, tradition seven. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking, tradition three. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, tradition six, nor do we oppose anyone. Tradition nine, we, I mean, tradition ten, we simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. Five. So we can see half of the traditions are actually in practice, although they haven't been codified and articulated when the big book was published in 39. As a matter of fact, a lot of you will recognize how similar that sounds to something that we often read in the beginning of the meetings, which is the preamble. So the AA Grapevine starts in 44, and the first editor, Tom Y, takes that particular paragraph from the forward to the first edition and adopts it into what we call the, pre- adapts it into what we call the preamble today, right? Um, so the Washingtonians, they've come and gone, but Bill learns a lot of lessons from them. And it's about we have to, we have to unify or else the same thing is going to happen. So you have a story in the back of your book. It's called um, He Sold Himself Short. It's Earl Treat who was sponsored by Dr. Bob. He got sober in Akron, but he starts AA in Chicago, right? The first group in 39, right? Uh, the Chicago group. And um, as a matter of fact, some of you may be familiar. Every once in a while, you'll hear at a meeting or somewhere, or some AA function, you'll hear a little blurb called Why We Are Chosen. That's actually an excerpt from a talk that was given by Judge John T. at the fourth anniversary of the Chicago group. That's, that's just a... The, the talk is cr- tremendous, but that's a, a really beautiful little excerpt taken from that talk of the fourth anniversary Chicago group. But Earl T. is the one who, who coaxes Bill that we've got to codify our experience and get it out, down into traditions, right, to protect it. So the 12 steps are what take us to a spiritual awakening, but the 12 traditions are what protect the spiritual awakening, right? So getting back to... Um, so something else has to happen you know, and I'm not going to have time to go through this, obviously, much of it, but um, the Oxford group. So there's only been two successful wholesale movements in the history, in, in history as far as I know, for kind of wholesale recovery of alcoholism. One is extinct. I just mentioned that one, and you're sitting in the other, <laughs> you know. So, you know, great stories about love and redemption, about being lost and found. Right now, if you have a seat in AA, you're probably sitting in the largest lost and found on the planet, right? Um, lost souls, right? Um, so what happens is um, in 1908, there's a Lutheran minister, um, 
um, Frank Bookman in Philadelphia, right? And he has a heart for, for unfortunate boys, right? And he has this little hostel um, orphanage-type arrangement. And um, what happens is they're going through hard monetary times, and the board cuts his funding. He's so upset about it that he has words with all the directors, with the board, right? And when he has words, he has words like... Um, like the way we do it alcoholically, right? You know how that is when you push the send button and it's like, ooh, right? And, um, and um, you know, and he just he can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, you can't unring that bell. And, and he's suffering immensely from the way he leaves. He's on a mission. A man on a mission without a mission winds up over in Keswick, England at an evangelical convention. Here's this woman, Jesse Penn Walker or Jesse Penn Lewis, whatever her name was, doing this talk on first century Christianity about suffering and sacrifice and forgiveness. Suffering and sacrifice, surrender and forgiveness, right? He has a conversion experience. He thinks that he has tapped into something. As a result of that experience, he writes some letters of apology to all those board members. What would we call those? Letters of amends. The relief and the freedom that he feels is so incredible and so exhilarating that he knows that he has tapped into the solution, maybe the solution for mankind. I don't know that he's that far off. The steps are full of that, surrender and forgiveness, right? And um, so he sees the truth about himself and the truth about his faith and the truth about his relationships. And, and by the way, the truth about God, the truth about yourself and the truth about your relationships is the truth about everything. That, you know, that's what the steps are designed to uncover, right? And um, so that we learn to play nice in the sandbox, right? Um, good, I brought water. All right. I'll be back. <laughs> Hopefully this will remind me about what I'm supposed to say. Does anybody know if this stuff works? Yeah. I, I wish I had started it before the meeting. <laughs> um, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and um, so anyways, he's off on this. He has a conversion experience, and he starts this fellowship. It's called First Century Christian Fellowship, right? And um, in 1918, he's over in China on a mission, and he meets a guy on a YMCA, YMCA mission, Sam Shoemaker. Sam Shoemaker, after discussing this with Frank Bookman, what Frank Bookman has discovered, has a conversion experience himself. And if, if Frank Bookman is the CEO of the Oxford Group, um, you know, kind of worldwide, um, Sam Shoemaker is going to become the, like the president of the U.S. chapter, as it were, right? And with the Episcopal Calvary Mission and, and church in New York City. In 1928... Frank Bookman is down in South Africa. Now, where he gets started, remember, is England, and that's where he's running around doing all these lectures about what he's found about first century Christianity. Well, there's a bunch of Oxford Group students that are following him around down there on the rail cars, and the conductors are going crazy as these students get to the train station and try to look for each other and find each other. So out of frustration, they hang placards on a rail car saying Oxford Group so that all the Oxford students can follow Frank Buckman to his next lecture and meet on the same rail car. The South African press picks up the name Oxford Group, starts running with it in the press, and the next thing you know, they have a new name. <laughs> Not because they changed it, it was changed by default. Um, a number of years later, in 1937, he'll have another conversion experience in the Black Forest. It'll be called the MRA, Moral Rearmament. And today, <clears throat> how much impact does... Um, does uh, 
the first century Christian fellowship or the Oxford group have in your life, probably as much as the Washingtonians. You know what I mean? It's come and gone. It's a nondescript NGO headquartered in coast Switzerland that you've never heard of called Initiatives of Change, right? But the thing is, it's part of the slender threads. Without the Washingtonians, I don't know if we have the traditions, right? Without the Oxford group, we don't have the, the kind of the seeds of AA, right? So, uh, Sam Shoemaker gets back to New York and uh, starts this Oxford group movement in New York City, right? Um, so, let's go. If we, now, if we go to the end of uh, There's a Solution on 26 and 29. Oh. Well, that's not going to work. I lost my book. Oh, here it is. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell's going on? I was like, I was like did, did it fall out at home? So if you were on, so anyways, if you were on page 26, at the end of their solution, let's say you were there, right? It says, well-renowned American businessman, right? So on 26 and 27, it's the story of Roland Hazard, right? Roland Hazard. I'm going to see Carl Young. Now, Roland Hazard is from Rhode Island, a rich industrial family, and what? And he has like all the all the therapy that money can buy, and he just can't get sober, right? So it's so he finally goes. His family decides he wants to go to um, Switzerland, right? And supposedly to try to see Freud, right? But Freud's too busy, probably doing coke. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. No, it's, that is my opinion. Oh, no, wait a minute. History might bear me out on that one. Yeah. Um, and I, I do suffer from outside issues. Like I said, I was just doing, I just did this presentation, and it was for the World Convention of uh, CA, which uses the Big Book and 12 and 12 as their, as their basic texts, right? Um, you know, that's one of the fellowships that, in a sense, followed AA and said, why would we screw with the original solution, right? And... Um, so, so, by the way, if any of you guys are thinking about relapse and you're looking for a partner, I'm a tweaker. You don't actually want to go with me. <laughs> and, and if any of you suffer from that, like if any of you guys get paranoid when you do that, you know, there's a fellowship for you too. It's, it's, it's called PA, Paranoids Anonymous. Uh, of, of course, we never actually meet. <laughs> That'd be way too scary. <laughs> So, so anyways, so, so anyways, back to, um, but I digress, back, back to Switzerland, right? So he wants to get with Freud, he can't go with Freud. And thank God, Freud, you know, is the father of psychoanalysis and dream psychology, right? I'd be up here, you know, you know, with my crack and my alcohol, and I love alcohol, never gave it up, right? And, um, you know, I, I qualify for both, and, um, you know, I'd be you know, up here with a hangover telling you about a dream I had last night. And in my dream, I was sober, right? And, uh, you know, but, you know, thank God he gets... And, and guess what? That's the founding triumvirate of modern psychiatry, right? Freud, Adler, and Young. Freud and Adler think that we're, you know, um, a, a mental intellect of whatever, you know, capacity, a couple of dollars worth of chemicals, and a bundle of instincts, Right. But he gets with Carl Jung. Carl Jung's a believer. Above his transom, it says, God is present, invoked or not invoked. What a blessing. One of the first big breaks we get, right? So he studies with Carl Jung. What does it say? So if you're on page 26, it says, um, he believed, he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. What's the next line? Anybody know? Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short period of time, right? 
So he gets sober for the first time in a long time. He gets sober, puts a little time together. On his way back to the United States, he stops in Paris to visit some of his family's wealthy friends, and somebody asks him the wrong question. Would you like a drink? (laughs) And he toasts his newfound sobriety. And he's off on a jag, and he comes back to Carl Jung. So this is, I'm paraphrasing what's on pages 26 and 27 at the end of their solution. And he says to Carl Jung, and he pleads for Carl Jung to take him back, and Carl Jung says, no. My art has failed you. When we talk about Slender Threads, I know that we talk about June 10th in Akron, Ohio, which I know is June 17th. But anyways, um, you know, or sometimes some people want to say it's Ebby and Bill in New York and whatnot. You know, Bill always maintained that in the ordinary practical sense, Alcoholics Anonymous started in the office of a Swiss psychiatrist, Carl Jung and Roland Hazard. And what, he, and what he said was, because he had enough humility to say, my art has failed you. Roland Hazard has as much money as God. He could have put him on the, on the couch for the next two, month, two years and sucked him dry, right? Treatment, right? <laughs> but, um, but, but he doesn't, right? He doesn't. And hey, and I'm not bad rapping treatment. I'm a guy who needs treatment halfway and 12-step recovery. So I get all that, right? That's just my story. Um, but he has, Bill's, um, Bill said he had enough humility to do that. And he said that your life and mine and the whole history, whole future of Alcoholics Anonymous depended on that single statement, on that doctor having enough humility. And what he says to Roland Hazard is, you need to go find yourself a spiritual experience, right? And he said, I, I've seen it here and there, now and then. This benign lightning, but no one can say where it will strike and when it will strike and for whom it will strike. But you need to go align yourself with some religious or spiritual entity and find that. It makes perfect sense at the time that he would wind up in the Oxford group, which is a big movement right then, right? Roland Hazard goes back to New York, meets with Sam Shoemaker, gets schooled in the Oxford group method, right? Um... And um, one of the, so they have, so I'm not going to have time to read this. In the forward, in that second forward, in another page, it says, but he couldn't accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, but he could accept what? The need for moral inventory, step four, confession, step five, right? Helpfulness to others, step nine. I mean, um, restitution, step nine, helpfulness to others, step 12, and guidance from a higher power, step 11. So the Oxford groups are using 4, 5, 9, 12, and 11, and the alcoholics that are coming in are making up for a first step, saying we're licked by alcohol. By the way, the podium is aware that the Oxford group has no six steps. You know, I have a tape of, you know, Hauk, you know, James Hauk, you know, who got sober you know, at, at 65 years sober. You know, he got sober the day after Bill Wilson, saying there is no, you know, six steps to the Oxford group. It's in our conference approval literature from a guy of 18 years on the Oxford group board, right? So I know that, but for, for practical purposes, we talk about the six steps, right? But he says we couldn't accept all the, abs- the tenets, and those tenets are the four absolutes, right? Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love, right? But if we're working with guys, especially in a 10-step practice, we could be using those. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute love and absolute unselfishness. And the four questions, guidepost questions that go along with the absolutes for 10-step practice would be, is it true or f- is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to do, what I'm thinking about, is it true or false, right or wrong, ugly or beautiful, and how does it affect the other guy, right? So that might be good stuff for a 10-step practice. So Roland goes back, gets schooled in the Oxford group, 
method from Sam Shoemaker. One of the things that's helpfulness to others, he's up in Vermont, and there's a guy named Debbie Thatcher, and Debbie Thatcher is having a lot of trouble. And guess what? I can see right now, Bill and Bob just are, are not going to get sober tonight, and because um, we're done, because we're done, right? So hey, so anyways, before I finish, so I, I, obviously, you know, when I, when I go in and do this, I usually do it for a few weeks. Obviously, we didn't have time to get very far, but I want to, but I want to read you one thing which is, I think, the, so I gave you a little bit about the Oxford Group and the, and the Washingtonians, which are like the two predecessors that Bill looks at for, for AA. But I want to read you my favorite description of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if I was finishing this, this is what I would finish with. So let's just pretend that we got Bill and Bob sober, right? And that AA takes off and that we have the traditions to hold us together. In almost magical fashion, Alcoholics Anonymous was able to give its religious and non-religious members alike a view of the universe and their place in it that was both exciting and spiritual. In doing so, they borrowed from religion everything that was powerful and uniting while politely declining everything that was self-serving and conflicting. You might call it the spiritual heist of the century, and they did it all unconsciously without realizing it. You know, the name of this meeting is Alcoholics and God. In April of 61, Bill wrote, um, Bill wrote an article. It's in, so if you have the compendium of grapevine articles, it's in Language of the Heart. In closing that, he says, Faith is more than our greatest gift. Its sharing with others is our greatest responsibility. May we of AA continually seek the wisdom and the willingness by which we may well fulfill that immense trust which the giver of all perfect gifts has placed in our hands. I need never let the light that goes out, that benign lightning that we have bottled in Alcoholics Anonymous, which I didn't get a chance to get into, but that's the miracle of AA. That's what's protected by the 12 traditions, the spiritual awakening, which can be replicated on a wholesale basis again and again and again. And I need to be sure that I need to be a good steward of the trust that that light might never extinguish on my watch. God bless you. Oh. We'll come up and get your stuff afterwards. Before you step down, we've got some gifts for you since you uh, took some time out for us tonight. Oh. First of all, I'm going to give you one of our world-famous, world limited-edition, Alcoholics and God, big book. Circus magnet, jacket. Magnet. Right? Circus <laughs> jacket, that's right. And one of our little uh, laminated pins. Oh, yeah, those yeah, things yeah, are yeah. to run out of those things. And one of our coffee mugs. Beautiful. So, Thank you, Mike. That was so nice of you. Thank you. Thank you. So we've been trying to figure out how we're going to get this guy in here. Now that we got him in here, we've got to try and figure out how we can set up a series of three, four, five, six, seven in a row. We've got the next few years to talk about and get you into it. It's nice to see you back. Yeah, healthy yeah. And proud. God bless. Yeah, I'll you. help you down over here. I'm gonna... Did it work? I'm still drinking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Watch your step. Use the handle. Mike, you want to grab him? Help him here. I got three mics over there. One more round of applause for him, please. Okay. I think we'll take a collection and see if we can get him a new book. How's that? Yeah. 
closing. Let's thank the speaker. And our secretary tonight is Ryan. No, we got Fred. Fred, come on up, Fred. Here's your thing. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Fred, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I've asked Mike to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Would you call up? All right, Mike. My name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Mike. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his, in the body. We are, now the sane, we are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you. 1940-style Big Book Sponsorship. From the Forge to the Second Edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way, 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, and come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Is anyone in need of a sponsor tonight? Please raise your hand. Uh, can you stand up so everyone can see you? Give them a round of applause for honesty. Wow. All the ladies available for sponsorship, can you please meet her up front after the meeting? Yeah, you come up here after to get hooked up with a gal. Please join us Monday nights. We have a Big Book study meeting on the third floor in the same building where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30 and the meeting itself starts at 7.15. We have large print Big Book and Big Book Dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting probably at 8.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thanks, guys, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, Brad. Once again, I'd like to invite everyone to the Monday Night Big Book Study. Um, on the back table, along with the... the we got uh, CDs of speaker talks, conferences. We got some commemorative mugs. We also got flyers. There is an upcoming women's conference, correct? We got a flyer for back there. The uh, general service annual spaghetti dinner is coming up, but they have uh, planning meetings at Lester's up in Pompano. We got a flyer for that along with that. So if you want to go check out some flyers, get involved in the fellowship of the Alcoholics Anonymous. We got that too. Um, We're going to close. If you want to, by the way, you're going to stick around for a little bit and answer some questions. Good. So he's good. if you want to thank him, meet him, you know, line up in the middle here. But uh, feel free to pepper him with questions, you know. Stunt the speaker will play tonight. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's take a moment to get connected to God. And in this moment, you know, ask God what it's, you can do for the alcoholics out there still suffering. And then we're going to close on the Lord's Prayer. Who brings us from shame to grace? 
Thank you very much. Hope to see you all next week. By the way, next Tuesday, we got next Thursday, Peter's back in town. So come on up and thank the speaker, Senator Isle.